You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games. As long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi everybody, it's Luke Hector from The Broken Meeple here, recording on the 16th of January 2022 for another podcast episode. Yeah, the content's really been coming out this month, but uh, when you're unemployed, you got a bit more time on your hands, so that kind of helps. So far though, things are shaping up a little bit though. I actually have had an interview recently. Not going to give any more details really than that, but uh, I have a job offer. Um, but it needs to be finalised as to uh, details of what it, you know, exactly the role in titles, benefits, salary, etc. So I'm happy but cautious, you know, because it could be it could be a drop in salary from what I've had before, but the it might be worth still doing that if the the location and the culture is really good. So you know, I've got to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. But it does sound like I've got a good fallback option for my you know job prospects so there is that but i am waiting for occasional other interviews as well to have more ammunition but also to you know like try and see if there's any other options out there but uh things are shaping up in that regard a couple of um slightly annoying bits lately uh the facebook's like cancelled me for 24 hours on the basis of like um my buddy mark dainty as he's got arc nova before i have he got really lucky with an flgs a friendly local gaming store so i jokingly commented on his post uh you know like curse you i'm gonna kill you slowly and painfully with a smiley face you know it's winky face you know basically complete joke you know and nothing more than that facebook being the stupid busted pathetic pc hungry thing that it is decided to block me for 24 hours on the basis of it's oh this is threatening speech it's like no it's not (laughs) they took it way out of context and it's a i don't know it's a minor blip just means you won't be getting my thoughts on our alice in borderland after tonight when i finish watching the series but uh still it's just like come on facebook you know it kind of gets on my nerves now that everything is so PC. You know, everyone's so scared of their own shadow. You're not allowed to say anything without it being taken out of context. Yeah, you know, it's just the way the world is ever since 2020. But sadly, it's just the way it has to be. And in terms of the blog, though, as you say, lots of content has been coming out, though. I mean, I have had chance to... I've had to catch up a lot for December, which is kind of why I am churning out a ton of content, because I'm starting to catch up on all my reviews now so that I can do more top 10s and uh, beyond the base game reviews and stuff like that, because I've had to catch up on... What have we got here, then? we got Dixit Stellar. Had to catch up on that. Uh, the Book of Rituals, uh, the, uh, the Loop... I've got Shinkansen 0K uh, coming out soon. I've got Brian Boro that I've had to catch up on coming out this week as well. Uh, Tabanusi, I've had to record and edit. That's coming out this week. Uh, That'll be the next video I do probably, uh, Monday or Tuesday for a detail review. I've got uh, Origins First Builders Express review um, in the editing room. And it's just so much I've had to catch up on. But sooner or later, I'll be up to date with all reviews 
and then I can start just doing some other content. I'm tempted to do a review for now or never, I don't know. I'm, I didn't get a review copy, but my copy has arrived in the UK from my pre-order. So if I get a chance to play it often, I'll do a review, but I can't guarantee that one because there's a story mode and a standard mode, and I guarantee I should be able to play the standard mode some point soon, but the story mode probably not because I don't think I'll have a regular group to play that with and get it done quickly. So I'm in two minds about doing that one, but we'll see. You'll certainly get my thoughts on it. You know, I'll put posts up, I'll mention maybe in the next podcast what it's like, or maybe I'll do a first impressions, or maybe I'll just do simply a review of the standard mode, I don't know. But either way, I'll try and get some thoughts out, but I can't guarantee I'm going to give you a full video on that one. Uh, what else? Yes, please, if you can, look at two specific videos on my site, if you could. I'd be very grateful. Firstly, there is this one, uh, State of Playing Board Game Art Promotional Review. Basically, there is a couple in South Sea near where I live, and they do art for various board games. So uh, I've got a bunch of them on my wall. I even showed a few. This video is just me for seven minutes showing off the ones that they gave me and talking about it in more detail. Now, they did not request a video. I literally just decided to do a video out of the, out of the goodness of my heart, basically, because I thought... Uh, nope, that's not the state of playing I'm trying to find. Let me try and go to my Instagram and show. Let's see, state of playing, state of palate. The problem is they've got a name that's too similar to a lot of other like people. So it's a little bit hard to search for them. So I recommend going to my video and using the link in there. But come on, let's uh, see if it can catch up well, while it's doing that. Uh, and basically what they have is that if you imagine like games like Viticulture and uh, Arkham Horror and Wingspan, etc., they do board game inspired art. So here we go. Here's their Instagram. They even did a poster for um, that. They shared my video as an Instagram post uh, of me talking about it. But basically, as you can see from their Instagram site, Ticket to Ride, Parks, uh, where do you go? Catan, Dune, Imperium, Arkham Horror, Great Western Trail, Spirit Island, Brass Birmingham. They've got all these really nice looking art pieces that you can put on your wall. Really nice. They're a friendly couple. They've uh, given stuff to my local game cafe as well. And they just kindly gave me five art pieces to put on my wall with no request for anything else. So I did a little video to show them off and just link to the website and say, you know what, give these people a look. They post worldwide, they're not that expensive. They're in poster form, so you've got to buy your own frames, but A3 size, they're pretty good, nice artwork, I think. You know, this is just nice, pleasant stuff. Three of them are on my wall over there. Two of them you will notice are appearing in my uh, videos that I do in the studio now. You'll see two in the background. And yeah, and those are the five I've got. And I may even get a couple more in the later run, but you know, Terraforming Mars, Dune Imperium, there's quite a few of them. And they do post some other stuff with just general, uh, I think they got a Root one as well. They just post some general gameplay and stuff they're doing. So by all means, check out that video and see what you think. On top of that, I would also like to get a few more views on my live stream I did yesterday, which was on Spirit Island. Now, people know I've been raving about this one a lot, and I've certainly been playing it a lot this week because I was preparing for this live stream. This is where I take inspiration from Jonah at One Pit Wonder, hashtag support small creators, to list my favorite spirits. So I go through all 24 spirits in the game. 
I go on Tier Maker, which is an online website where you sort of allocate stuff to tiers, essentially, normally like S, A, B, C, D, but I called them different names. And I just basically talk about all 24 spirits and rank them based on my own level of enjoyment. So if you're a Spirit Island fan, please tune into that and see if you agree or disagree with my personal favorite spirits. Uh, even if you don't like Spirit Island, maybe just click on the video so it gets a view or something. But yeah, there was a kind of disappointing amount of views during its like, initial live thing. Like, not many people watching it at all. And it just seemed a little bit, oh, well, that was two hours spent not getting a huge amount. But like I say, it is a very niche topic, so maybe it's just that. So, But I would like to see if this tier maker thing could be used in the future for other lists. Not for normal top tens, you know, that's not going to replace it or anything. But maybe the ones where I talk very specifically within a game. Like, you know, heroes from this, or the spirits from this, or my favorite cards from this. Stuff like Tom Vassell does. He does like the really, like my 10 favorite ticket ride maps and things like that. You know, he uses a top 10 system, but I could use Tier Maker and do them as very short live streams, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm tempted to see where this goes, but by all means, give you your feedback and see what you think. Okay. On that note, let's get on to some games that I've been playing. So not that many other than Spirit Islands, which I've certainly been playing the heck out of lately. But I would say, let's see, the two other games I've played, Tigris and Euphrates would be one. Finally got this one back to the table. Not my own personal copy. We got uh, my friend's copy that I sold him back to the table because I own Yellow and Yangtze, Yellow and Yangtze or whatever it's pronounced as. And I think that's the slightly better game. But this one is still really good. I mean, I will happily play this one. It's not a problem. It's a Reiner Knizia classic. It's dry as old get out. There is no theme in this game, but it's a really cool, interesting game where each person has some tiles behind a screen and they are placing them on the board to create kingdoms. You've got your tokens, well, tokens, big plastic pieces that represent your leaders. Each leader gets you victory points of a specific color and you place them on the board in order to generate these victory points. The thing is, is that being a Kinitsia game, you need to get your lowest, your lowest amount of victory points in the color is your final score so you have to diversify and make certain that you get all the colors not just spam one of them but while you're doing this you are i mean this is an old version on screen here but same context if your leaders go in the same kingdom as someone else's leader you have conflicts if you join kingdoms up you have wars and it's all based on having tiles behind your screen committing them to fights and basically the placement of your leaders and what the kingdoms are like in order to win these wars, revolts, and get more victory points. It's a solid strategy game, but it's mean as old get out. You have to play this mean. You can't play this in nice, nice fashion. Everybody's nice. Let's just turtle up here. It will not work. You will get attacked. You need to be comfortable with this. But I still really enjoy this game. It's just a good bit of fun. It's very strategic in a way, but You've got to be prepared that things can just go completely screw-iffy at times. And other times, you you know, you might instigate the war. You might be defending from a revolt. You might deliberately start a war in kingdoms you're not even involved in just so that other opponents can, you know, get screwed over like I did in this game. <laughs> I started a war mainly just to mess up a couple of players. It was totally worth it. But yeah, solid game. Played it. I don't know how often two people at the table are going to want to play it again. Because I'm not sure they were into the whole meanness of it. 
But I still quite enjoy this one. I just think Yellow and Yangtze is a little bit better because it basically takes, it adds a couple of extra complications to the rules. But these extra bits, I think, make the game a little bit better. So they sort of give more abilities for the leaders themselves. But other than that, it's essentially the same game, just replace squares with hexes for the most part. But yeah, same sort of style, just better component quality, you know, Vincent Dutray artwork, easier to build pagodas and some leader abilities, you know, so all essentially the same game. Pick your poison. Uh, what else? I have played Brian Boro a bit more recently, but I don't want to talk about that because my Express review will be coming out later this week. So I don't really want to spoil too much on there. But other than that, uh, oh yes, uh, well, it's not much to say. I basically played the first mission out of Edge of the Earth. So uh, the campaign expansion. This is for Arkham Horror, the card game. And I've got I've only just got round to actually playing this campaign. And I've only just started it. I've got Winifred Habernock, or whatever her name is, the pilot. And she's taken me through the first scenario so far of this campaign. Initial thoughts... Very promising, situ very promising campaign here because essentially what this one does, not to spoil too much, is you have an expedition. So you have nine these nine NPC characters that you can have in each mission. You pick which one you want, and it will have some special ability. It gives you maybe a stat boost or some other cool thing, and you can chop and change. But as you go through the story elements things can happen to these characters. I mean, they can they can get damage and horror just like anybody else. They can get killed off, which have implications on the story and campaign. And even just from the first scenario, I can see that this is going to be a very good story-based campaign. Now, there also is a weird checkpoint system where in some scenarios, particularly the first one, you get to a point and then depending on your choices or what happens, you can decide to essentially kind of do 1B and 1C or skip ahead straight to scenario 2. It depends what you have, it depends on what you've done already in 1A, but I like the fact that you've got that variety. You know, if you ended up doing this you've got to potentially save your buddies if you decide this you're going to get attacked you've got to defend yourself or you might just flee and skip straight to scenario two like i've done mainly because i'm not playing a fighter character therefore the idea of defending myself from attacks <laughs> don't think it's going to go down well this system sorry this campaign does seem to hint that you need to take an investigator team that's good on movement and quite fighty I found that I didn't need to worry too much about investigation in the first scenario. I mean, you could, it wasn't too many high shroud areas, but yeah, you had to deal with a fair few monsters, potentially one big one. And obviously one, the checkpoint mission I just mentioned requires you to be a fighter, but you also need to be able to move around a lot. So bear that in mind when you're creating an investigator. I have a feeling that my particular investigator is going to be a little bit underpowered for this scenario. And again, as this, card system gets more and more complex i feel that maybe difficulty creep is setting in i mean this is not an easy system already i mean the first scenario is not easy nor are any of the other bits so i'm a little bit concerned that this one's going to suddenly be like oh my god stupidly difficult but we'll see so far i'm enjoying it and it's definitely based on the whole city of the elder things uh side which is a bit of a shame actually because i was kind of hoping it would be more based on I forget his name, but he's essentially one big giant snow yeti or whatever he is. I thought, it, I thought that might be better, but 
you know, I don't know much about the City of the Elder Things, so I'd be interested to learn a bit more about them. And um, we'll see. But yeah, definitely a great theme of expedition, expeditions in the Antarctica. And we'll see how that progresses, because I might be able to play in a couple of scenarios after I'm done with this podcast. We shall see, although it is already hmm, 3.23 and I've got uh, Stellaris night tonight. We'll see. Okie doke. Yeah, not much in the way of what I'm playing, sadly. But, you know, as you can see, mainly I've been playing Spirit Island for that live stream. But we're certainly going to be playing more games of a bigger variety this week. So by the next podcast, there should be more on that. So let's talk about some news. Just go briefly into a bunch of news articles. Uh, firstly, from Schmidt, uh, you know, the same people who brought you Quacks of Quedlinburg. We have Mitt Quacks and Co. Nat Quedlinburg. It's like, what? It's like, it's like, with Quacks and Co. of Quedlinburg. I mean, the title sounds incredibly dumb. I hope they revise that in some way. But this is... It says re-implements the Quacks of Quedlinburg. It does not re-implement it. It's basically a spin-off. It's got Menzel artwork, which means it's going to look gorgeous. It's Wolfgang Walsh again. And essentially, it's a racing game where you are feeding your animal mount by you, you drawing tokens out of a bag, much like in Quacks. And depending on what you draw out, depends what you feed the mount in hope that they will go faster as opposed to stand around like a complete dope. The cover looks very you know, colourful, and it is definitely, I think, aimed at kids, because this has a 6-plus age rating, so this clearly looks like a very simple gateway-level kids game more than anything else. But what is up with these faces? I mean, this guy at the back here is way too happy to be riding the sheep, and this girl here is like, ah, you know, it's like she's got bright, like, eyes, as if it's like, I haven't been able to close my eyelids for the last 24 hours, please help me. You know, so she's clearly been taking drugs or something. It's like something a little bit too, like, <laughs> I am so happy because my eyes will pop out of my skull and attack you type motif here. But, you know, if you're a fan of Quacks and Co, Quacks of Quedlinburg, I don't mind it. It's fine. I just... I find it a little bit too random for my own good. I mean, it's basically whoever wins is whoever gets lucky drawing out of the bag. There's nothing else about it. But if you like that system, then by all means, have a look at this one. Uh, Portal Games have announced that they are going to be publishing Gutenberg, which is a game that was at Essen. It was released by Grana, and it's essentially a, well, a dry-as-anything engine builder game. You set your initiative with these cubes, these black cubes in a cutout board here in secret and based on where you put your cubes you will dictate whether you go first second or third fourth whatever on various actions in this printing press and what you're doing is you're collecting inks you're collecting letters you're collecting specializations whatever in order to fulfill orders for money and victory points pretty standard you've got a few cogs on your board that you can purchase in order to generate other like boosts and benefits you've got specializations that you can level up in, in order to get more stuff but for the most part, it's a straight-up engine-building game where you collect what you need in order to fulfill the orders. But the initiative cube system is pretty neat. You, you have less cubes if you are the first player. But, you know, so you may, like, if you went first in the previous round, you're going to have less initiative cubes for the next, for, like, the next round, which I thought was quite cool. It's a neat little system. The rest of it is kind of standard, though. I've only played this as a, a two-hour demo game at Essen. And I wasn't particularly wowed by this. I mean, the, the whole... People are going ape about these little keys there. It's like, oh, look, it's a cool wooden piece with a stenciled, like, uh, letter in it. 
whatever. They don't do anything. You literally just collect them to say, I have the letters for the order. You don't spend them. You don't do anything with them. You just have them in front of you. So why is that such a big deal? The graphic design on these cogs is quite hard to read, especially with this horrible semicircle light effect here that's supposed to represent, oh, that's the bit that's activating. It's very misleading. Other than that, it's just mainly leveling up tracks and collecting bits and bobs. I mean, I don't see why this is that fundamentally different from every other engine builder game and i just thought it was average when i played it but everyone seems to be going nuts about it however i believe portal games us are sending me a review copy so maybe once i've played it a few more times maybe it's got a solo mode that might be more interesting who knows you know or maybe i just need to play it more and see what it's like because it did seem quite slow there's certainly potential for ap here but we'll see I think it may be I just need more games of it, but my initial impressions are not like screaming for this game. But if it interested you, then by all means, Portal Games has got your back. Alrighty, next up is for Lord of the Rings, the LCG. They recently released their revised core set, which is great because they, you know, it's great that they have now brought it back as a bit similar to what they're doing with Arkham Horror, a nice revised set for people to get into. Fantastic. Now, what they've also announced is starter decks, similar to what they did with Arkham Horror. Now, I recommend that you grab these as soon as you can when you when they come out, because I bet you anything like the Arkham ones, they'll sell out and then you have to wait ages for them. But essentially, you'll have dwarfs, elves, Gondor and Rohan starter decks that you can use in conjunction with the starter set. Now, these are obviously using cards that have already existed, and I don't know how powerful these decks are going to be. Bear in mind, Lord of the Rings LCG has a much higher difficulty curve than Arkham Horror and Marvel Champions put together. But they certainly are using all of their card pool for this. I mean, take down here, the Rohan starter deck here mentions Eomir and Lothriel as two of the heroes. Eomir came in about mid-series of the system. Loth Lothriel, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, she's quite a late entry to the series. I mean, I think it's... Uh, like the last saga of the LCG is when this hero got put into the game. So your starter deck is going to have a hero that's already pretty powerful for Rohan. I mean, she is pretty sweet <laughs> for a Rohan deck, you know. Um, but so as for these other ones, I mean, you can have, you know, this elf deck. You get Galadriel, who's really cool, and Celeborn. And for the dwarfs, I mean, dwarf decks are a really powerful archetype. So having Dane Ironfoot in there is going to be do quite well. But... Yeah, these starter decks, I think, will be a good way for you to get into the system, especially as they are themed around a specific uh, type of race, which is kind of how I like to build my decks, really. They're always themed decks. I, some people can build the most powerful mechanical deck. I can't. I don't have that, uh, you know, that capability. But yeah, have a look for these starter decks. I reckon these will be pretty sweet. Now, have they mentioned when they're going to come out, though, is the question uh spring 2022 so i'll hazard a guess and say march all right <laughs> around march time uh very quickly mystic veil vale. i'm going to borrow the dice tower news website for this because it's got the best picture but uh this one is for mystic veil vale. it's a game i really like it's on my shelf all packed up with expansions and stuff now the problem is the re the sales tactic for this was pretty poor they barely gave you any cards in the base set they gave you then expansions which were overpriced and just gave you a bunch of cards with the occasional new mechanic like leaders, which is actually pretty sweet. 
Now they are basically around March time, I, so, I suppose. I think it's around March time. Releasing Mystic Veil Essential Edition. I'm getting sick and tired of people trying to use Essential Edition as a term. <laughs> ever since Stonemaier started. But this is a card crafting game. Really cool. It's basically deck building except you're creating the cards rather than the deck. So your deck isn't any bigger. It's just your cards get more and more powerful. Really cool system. Other than that, you're just comboing effects with gorgeous artwork. It's a very unique idea. This is what I mean about board game innovation. It's one of the most innovative games in the last, uh, say, five odd years. 2016, this was released. But what this will do is that it will essentially give you Veil of Magic, Veil of the Wild, and Mana Storm in the main box. So it doesn't include everything for the game. I mean, this thing quotes eight expansions. I'm not aware of there being eight expansions. That seems a little bit high. I'm only aware of about five or six tops. But it will essentially give you three expansions worth of cards, including Veil of the Wild, which is probably the best one in the lot because it gives you the leaders, which are really cool to use. But you should have all the content you need, really, with this box. Three expansions plus the base game, I think, is more than enough cards for you to get your money's worth. And if you were interested in jumping into this, but you thought it was a bit of a price issue, then hopefully, if they don't overprice this box in March 22, you'll be able to get into it this way. So I do recommend this game. If you want to try it in advance, try the app. The app's really cool as well. And very much finally, uh, very quickly, Alley Cat Games are planning to send me some pre-Kickstarter copies for preview purposes of Reiner Knizia's Armin Ray and Autobahn, which is their two upcoming games. I should also be getting production copies of Eternal Palace and, uh, what was it called, Dice Theme Park. I don't know if I need to review those two because I've already done preview articles for those in the past, but... We'll see. Uh, Dice Theme Park I'm okay with. You know, I, I think it's good. I don't know if it would be a keeper for me, personally. But I'm really looking forward to getting Eternal Palace, though. I reckon that's like a, the new gateway game for Dice Worker Placement. Honestly, it really is fitting into that sl slot quite nicely. But uh, Autobahn here is a game about building the German motorway over a period of time. It sounds not exactly like the theme I'm looking for, although that cover is gorgeous. I do think that's so colourful and lovely. But it's an economic strategy game, building the motorway system over three periods of time, from World War II to the present day. As your construction company contributes to the development of the network, you will gain seats at the admin boards, they give you more income, and essentially you're trying to, you know, obviously have the most money and victory points. As I say, the theme isn't exactly one that I'd go mad for, but this is Alley Cat Games. I'm not expecting them to make this stupidly complicated like an Age of Steam game. The cover is very nice and colourful. I reckon that this could be like a nice lighter version. It's different. You know, we're not dealing with trains, we're dealing with a German motorway. I'm intrigued to see what this one would be like. But I'm very much intrigued by this one. Reiner Knizia's Armin Ray, a 20th anniversary edition that's coming to Kickstarter in, in fairly soon in the spring. Because this is something I really want to do. I want to play more of the classic games. I just haven't had a chance to yet. Still to this day, not played El Grande. No, I'm not joking. Not played El Grande. Yeah, I've never seen it. It was too expensive to buy on a gamble. But I would love someone to teach me El Grande. Please, somebody at a convention teach me El Grande. But... Armin Ray is another classic. I don't know much about it. It's, I mean, it says here that you bid for provinces, farm the land, and make your offerings to Armin Ray to improve your farming yield and reap the rewards. Okay, so makes kind of sense. But from what I heard, I believe this is one where you build up to an extent, and then suddenly something happens, and you no longer own the stuff you built, 
but you basically have like a second act of the game using what people have built. So you could go and like reap the rewards of what someone else has done during act one. That sounds pretty cool. I'm all up for that. And some extra little expansions as well, just to add some variety to it. I look forward to seeing what this is. Vincent Chitray artwork. So as you can see, that cover is gorgeous. The rest of the game will hopefully look nice. But yeah, I'll be interested to see this one because this will be a chance for me to play a classic. Whoo-wee, blimey, that was a lot of news. I think I've been making up for previous times where there hasn't been that many news to talk about. But, ah well, live and learn. So let's let's get on to the topic I just want to talk about. I don't think this episode will take too long, but you know, I say that all the time in the past and look what happens. Let me just take a drink first. Lovely, thank you. Right. This one, I'm not gonna need much visual aid for this, but let's go back to Arkham Horror the Card Game because this is a good example of what I'm talking about here. I recently did a review for the loop. Okay, the loop is a Pandasaurus game, and it's a decent enough game, but I criticized it for being too difficult. I thought, come on, you know, why is it so hard? It's very random and punishing, and for what should be a fairly light game, just ends up being far too random and difficult. Now, most people agree with me on this, but there are a few who said, no, I don't find it that hard, I find it relatively easy. And so, obviously, different strokes for different spokes. We can agree to disagree on that part. But I stand by the fact that I found this too punishing. You know, you if you, you're basically trying to stop this mad scientist from messing around with time, but there's a mechanic where you drop these cubes into this uh, little contraption here. They funnel out into three different areas, and if you get too many in one area, you end up with these uh, like vortex tiles on there. And if you get too many of them, the game ends. And if you get two on the same one, the game ends but there's just too much that's random and punishing because you build up these missions in order to try and flip them. But if you accidentally get a vortex tile on one of those, all your progress is undone. That's harsh. These clone tiles, these duplicates, they come out of a bag at the start of the round, go into these areas, and then you drop the cubes and see where this thing's going to end up. But it's random where this thing's going to point because it comes from drawer of a card deck. And... You might have an area that was once clean, suddenly end up with duplicates in it, which then adds more cubes, and you had no way to protect yourself against that. It was completely random. And I played this many times, I reviewed it, and I'm not even sure I won it. It just really felt too hard. Now, whether you agree with that is entirely down to you, but that's not what I'm getting at here. By all means, check out my Express review for more detailed thoughts. What I'm getting at here is our game's getting a little bit too hard here because, you know, you, it depends what you want from a game. I like to play games to enjoy them. If they're challenging, fine. But honestly, I prefer a challenge that's tailorable. Oh, is that the word? <laughs> that can be tailored. And I think that lately... Everything that's obsessed with making the game stupidly hard, stupidly punishing, or whatever. And I don't know who this is trying to appease, whether people have been complaining at times that, oh, games are too hard, oh, sorry, too easy, I want a challenge. But honestly, were they? I mean, you could make games like Pandemic and Forbidden Desert and that hard enough to be pretty punishing if you wanted to. You just had different levels of difficulty. 
Anybody who claims Ghost Stories is too easy is frankly talking through the back teeth. I mean, seriously, that game is hard. There was a game called Yggdrasil that I swear was impossible. And it, I do hate it when these games get too hard because I want to play for the experience. Like if I play a story-driven game, I don't want the story-driven game to be so punishing that I lose after Scenario 2 without any chance of beating it. I want to experience the story. Give me enough of a challenge that I got to work to it or that maybe I'm on the back foot and then I build up and then succeed. Spirit Island does a fantastic job of this with some of its difficulties. But, you know, let me experience it. Now, LCGs are a common thing with this because Arkham Horror the Card Game started off with a bit of a mismatch of difficulty curve with its free initial scenarios, but the card pool was limited. But Dunwich, you know, was tough in places, but not stupidly impossible. But as the card pool was increased, they feel obliged to make the new campaign cycles more difficult. And I swear that as we've been going through the cycles of Arkham Horror, the card game, it's just been getting harder and harder and harder with the occasional spike in stuffing like uh, Forgotten Wilds. I think it was called the third one. That was pretty hard in general. But... You know, this new one, Edge of the Earth, does not look like a cakewalk. The uh, Deep Ones, the Innsmouth Conspiracy, was pretty tough in places. And I know that you've got more cards in the pool, but does it really have to mean that you've got to make the scenarios very punishing? And in Arkham Horror, the card game, you can tailor the difficulty. You can play this in easy, standard, hard, or expert. Are you high if you want to play this in expert? Seriously, I don't know why you would play this on expert. Honestly, I don't even want to play this on hard. And I see people make decks for playing this on a stupidly hard difficulty. And I just don't know why. Because I know you want it to be challenging, fine. But consider this. The difficulty for this game is based on the Chaos Bag. Chaos Bag is a random bag of tokens which you draw out for every skill test. And they'll have plus minuses, different symbols that do different things. But all you do when you up the difficulty is change the distribution of the tokens and put worse ones in there. So in standard mode, you might have a bunch, uh, a plus one, a couple of zeros, some minus ones, but mainly minus twos and even like a minus three and a minus four at times. You've also got an auto fail token and an auto succeed token. But on hard mode, you'll get even worse ones. On expert, it's even more ridiculous. Like you can get a minus six and a minus seven Seriously, you might as well just call them auto-fail tokens at that point. Frankly, you might as well call them minus four an auto-fail token, because minus three will make you fail most tests, not only four. And you draw randomly. So you're not exactly making the monsters harder. You're not making the scenario more difficult to figure out. You're simply increasing the random modifier to be more punishing. And honestly, you can play this on easy mode and still draw the auto-fail token three times in a row. Doesn't matter that you're playing on easy. That will probably screw you over. But then you could play this on expert mode and draw nothing but Elder Signs and succeed easily. Nothing to do with the fact that the scenario is any harder. It's just you got lucky with the bag. Now, I know that's extreme examples here, but I normally played this on standard mode. I now, when I go into a scenario brand new, play on easy. And I'll probably stick that way. And then if I repeat a campaign, knowing what's coming, I'll probably play on standard then. I will refuse outright to play this on hard or even consider expert. It's just too punishing for the randomness you have. And honestly, does it really scupper my enjoyment of playing this on easy mode? No. I mean, the game's not a cakewalk. It's still 
not an easy game, you will still be challenged on easy mode if you are playing this on a casual basis like I do. I mean, yeah, if you live and breathe this game and play it every single day for many hours, then fine, okay, you want a challenge, go and do that. But for people like me who play this a lot but want a nice, fun, thematic experience, just let me play on easy. And don't give me any jip for it, really. And thankfully, the community is not quite like the case of, oh, you play on easy, you you noob. You know, people have asked, you know, what difficulty should I play this at? And people are pretty friendly about it. But there was a poll I saw on a Reddit post, which I think asked, it asked like about 100 odd people what difficulty you play on. I think about 30, uh, 40 odd played on easy, uh, 50, 60 odd played on uh, standard. 10 played on hard, 1 said they played on expert. Yeah, the majority of people do not go into that hard camp. But, you know, let's take other systems, for example. You know, Lord of the Rings, the card game that I mentioned. That's even harder. That's just tricky. The scenarios and the enemies you come across are just really, really tough. So to even consider playing this on the advanced modes is ridiculous. It's hard enough on its easiest mode. And I noticed with this card game is that it started off being relatively easy, but then you had the Don Golder scenario in the core set, which is regarded as one of the hardest scenarios in the entire game. This was the third scenario in a starter core set. Seriously, Fantasy Flight, how did you not notice this in playtesting? Fail. Absolute fail. I hope with the revised core set they've managed to improve on this, although... That'd be interesting, actually. Have they or have they not? That's a that's a problematic issue, actually. I might have to look into that. But actually, let me know in the comments if you've played it. Does it have Don Golder in there? And if so, is it stupidly hard like it used to be? But as you went through the campaign cycles, they got steadily more harder and harder and harder to the point now where I think the last uh, saga, whatever it was called, uh, let me see, the Lord of the... Oh, what was it called? It was like uh, Mulder, Mulder? Um, Mordor one, so... I'll see if I can find it. But the latest, the last cycle that they did was really difficult. And I mean stupidly hard. I don't think there is any easy scenario in that set. And I fear that there is just so many difficult scenarios in there which you can't build thematic decks for. You have to effectively build it so that you change your deck every single part of a cycle. And I hate that. It's a cycle. It's a campaign. I've chosen this deck, these heroes. I want to go through the whole cycle with this deck. But it doesn't make sense that I would suddenly have an elf deck. And then by the time I get to scenario three, all of a sudden I have a Gondor deck. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, Gimli, Aragorn and Linio here. And it's like, well, where are they in the other ones? It doesn't work from a thematic sense. I can't seem to find it easily, but it was a deluxe. And I swear it was something like a a Mordor deluxe set, but the thing is there's so many expansions for this, it's kind of ridiculous. Even the Saga expansions got to that point. But the only tweak to the difficulty you can make with this game is to, I think, get an extra resource at the start of the game, and that's it. Honestly, that is not a particularly big deal. It's not like that's the make or break for a scenario that's stupidly hard. So this one really did need a little bit of a... This one does have a problem with difficulty curve. Marvel Champions is kind of getting that way as well. These uh, boxes that I've got on my shelf here, Rise of the Red Skull, Galaxy's Most Wanted, and uh, Mad Titan Shadow. The further you go through them, the more difficult it gets. Rise of the Red Skull had some difficult people, but I thought that was about as good as I wanted for difficulty. 
Galaxy's Most Wanted has got some of the most ridiculously hard scenarios I've come across, and considering the Green Goblin exists, that's saying something. Mad Titan Shadow I've yet to go through, but I'm not expecting Thanos and his cronies to be a pushover. And I'm looking forward to Sinister 6, uh, the, yeah, what's it called, the Sinister Motives expansion, as per my uh, t top 10 that I did before. I do not want this to be stupidly difficult. I want to be playing these scenarios on a regular basis so I can go up against Venom and Doc Ock and Electro and all these really cool Spider-Man villains. I cannot wait for this set. I do not want this to be so hard that I don't want to play any of these scenarios. Please make them beatable. And this you can play on expert mode as well. And I have never, ever been drawn to play this on expert mode. Maybe with the Rhino, the first scenario, and maybe the Claw. But Ultron on expert? No. You know, any of these other ones on expert, like Ronan the Accuser, he's regarded as one of the hardest decks in the entire game to beat. And I can't even beat the Collector very easily in that saga. It's, come on, you know, why is it got to be so hard? I'm not saying I want to beat the game every single time I play it, because otherwise it would be too easy and boring. But Spirit Island, for example, has six different levels of difficulty that you can choose from. And, well, when you go up against an adversary, the scenarios are a bit more varied. But if you choose an adversary, it's got six levels of difficulty for each one. And that's a lot of spread. Each difficulty adds a different rule, which does, you know, doesn't make it more randomly punishing. It adds a specific rule for the adversary that you are aware of. But this is really good because I'm comfortable playing this game on level three and four of each adversary. It, it gives me enough of a challenge. It puts me on the back foot to begin with, and then I pull it back, and then we succeed, possibly, or we lose. But level five is hard. Level 5 kills you pretty easily. And level 6, I haven't even tried to attempt. Because if level 5 is kicking my butt on a regular basis, the last thing I'm going to do is play this on level 6. Unless I've got some experts with me. But this one I can tailor a bit more to my heart's content. And it's not just adding a random modifier to make it more difficult. It's adding specific rules that you can see or prepare ahead of time. This is a very good example of difficulty tailoring done right. Uh, what else? Uh... Ah, uh, yes, let's try some campaign games. Um, Tainted Grail. I love this game. I think it's a, one of the best stories I've uh, seen in the game. But the difficulty curve is kind of ridiculous in this one as well because of the fact you have to upkeep these stupid men here all the time. The men here rule in this of how often you need to upkeep them, how many resources they take, is ridiculous. It's too much. It pads the game out like crazy, and that's all it's there for. It's just there to pad the game out. So I have to house rule how these work to give me a much more pleasurable experience. And it's not like the rest of it's any easier. I mean, some of the monsters you fight are so crazy, impossibly hard, that it's challenging enough as it is. This is not a pushover. So having this stupid padding system just to make the game more difficult is annoying. The Last Night campaign, the side on to this, has a rule for frostbite. If you don't house rule how frostbite works, which the house rule I do is that you can, I think, I the house rule I did with frostbite is that if you are at max health and you heal, you can heal a frostbite. But the normal rules mean that you barely can ever heal frostbite. It zaps your max health. It gets worse the more you move around outside of settlement. So it just perpetually makes you weaker and weaker and weaker to the point where you can't even fight a pig and survive. And it's so punishing, it's ridiculous. Again, 
adds to padding. I house ruled out, otherwise the last night campaign would have sucked hard. It really is too punishing. And it's like, why does it need to be that hard? I mean, who's designing this game? Who's developing this game and thinking, you know what people want to do? They want to be punched in the face. No. Can I just ex enjoy the story? Lord of the Rings. Um, we'll go back to Lord of the Rings. The Journeys in Middle-earth. Journeys in Middle-earth was claimed to be too difficult at first. You could play it on standard mode or you could play it on heroic mode. I refuse to play this game on heroic mode because, frankly, standard in some of these scenarios was already ridiculously hard, particularly when you got to the final scenario, where as much as I love this game, the biggest problem some of the early campaigns have is that they progress you through a fairly challenging story, but beatable, and then in the finale, it becomes impossible. And I mean ridiculously impossible. I think the second campaign you play, the... The first expansion, whatever it is, not the DLC one, the first big box expansion you play, the Mirkwood one, guarantee you that last scenario is physically impossible unless you have a big party of players, three or four, because it requires you to cover far too much ground and kill too many enemies for one or two heroes to manage. It just scales ridiculously bad. But now they've brought out an adventurer mode for this. So basically you are on a threat counter and it forces you to move like really quickly not really explore much not get enough of the story out because you're constantly under this time pressure i will now play this in adventurer mode all the time and i have no shame about it it essentially gives you more time to enjoy the story to enjoy the map you get to resolve more of the explore tokens and it's not like the explore tokens are that helpful i mean they give you a nice little boost now and again but they could give you a skill test that you could fail at you could injure yourself but it just means that i get to go at my own pace i don't have to think right i better hurry up and run from a to b across this entire map because if i don't the timer will say you lose and the timers i don't know timers in games i'm a little bit annoyed with let me lose the game because a troll bashed me over the head or something don't make me lose just because some arbitrary timer says uh you ran out of time you lose okay you can have some scenarios like that but not every single scenario so i'll play this on adventurer mode give me the extended time the monsters don't get any easier the stuff you fight is still the same stats as before. You still have the same weapons as before. You don't get extra resources or hit points or any extra stat boost for adventurer mode. It's just purely timer management. And it's like, it gives me a much more enjoyable experience, you know, without having to be so punishing. So with this in regard, it's kind of a weird one. I'm interested to know what people think. You know, are you on, you're, on, you're basically in one of two camps. You are either in the camp that wants the hardest experience possible. So you want the biggest challenge. You are fine with getting kicked in the teeth. And you want it to be like the ultimate victory when you finally beat it. And I do mean when, not if, but it will take you some time, particularly playing heroic mode in some of these games. But if that's what you want, great. If you're in that camp, that is totally fine. I'm personally in the other camp. I have no problems playing a game on easy mode or standard mode. And enjoying the story, just enjoying the mechanics of the game. I don't need every scenario in Marvel Champions or Sentinels in the Multiverse to bash me over the head. If I'm enjoying the mechanics of messing around with cards and trying to find combos and getting into the theme, that's good enough for me. 
and it's not like you can autopilot these. There are none of these games that I have mentioned are autopilot if you play them on easy mode. You still have to do the right stuff. You still have to manage your hand, manage your deck, you know, make the right decisions, succeed in combat, kill monsters. You can't just simply go, I'll do whatever I feel like and still win. It doesn't work. But at least now I get to experience a good, solid story. Uh, role player adventures I'm looking at over there. I don't think that has a difficulty curve in it. I think that's kind of the same difficulty throughout. Uh, maybe you can play on a harder, I'm not entirely sure. But so far, roleplayer adventures has been probably the right level of difficulty. It can get a little tricky at times, and you are reliant on dice luck a bit. But uh, so far, I think it's been a good blend of good story and suitable challenge rating. Games like The Loop were too punishing on a random basis. Frustratingly, as much as I love Arkham Horror the card game, that chaos bag can get very frustrating at times and simply just putting worse tokens into it isn't going to make me enjoy the game anymore by making it more hard on a random basis. Lord of the Rings the card game got a bit too difficult for its own good, hence I'm not a big fan of the later cycles as I am the earlier ones. But then... These campaign games also go over the top by making their final scenario stupidly hard or, you know, not putting in easy modes and then reacting to feedback before they do so. Why not just put an easy mode in your game from the get-go? Not everybody wants to play your game and be punched in the face. Some people want a good, pleasurable, simple experience. You know, if I go through a game and I think it's too easy, I'll then go to the harder difficulty afterwards. But why not let me do easy first, enjoy it, and then play it on a harder difficulty later? You know, if your game is good enough to have replay value, that will happen. If it's not good enough to have replay value, then, well, that's a flaw in your design of your game. That's not my fault. So I'm curious, what camp are you people in? Are you, are you guys in? Are you in the camp where you want it stupidly hard for that glorious win when it happens? Or are you in my camp where you want a bit more of a pleasurable experience from a thematic perspective and you don't mind if the game is a bit easier than others would? I mean, I don't, you know, there are people out there who live and breathe the LCGs and play heroic mode all the time and they've got super duper decks. Fine, do that. I'm a casual player of all these games. Yes, I love them and I've got a lot of their cards, but I don't get to play them every day. I have to play a lot of different games for the reviews, for my blog, and just in general, variety is a spice of life. I don't like to play the same game continuously all the time. I had to do it with Spirit Island, and even now I'm like, I've played enough Spirit Island to last me a good while. I might put that game down for a month and not play it again for a while. You know, I might go back to some others. Like, I mean, Arkham Horror, the card game I've gone back to. Roleplayer Adventures I need to finish off. And of course, Now or Never is sitting over there behind the laptop and I need to get that learned. So again, new games or return to other games. It's just the way I am. So I'm interested to hear what you think. Let me know your comments and by all means, if you can, please remember to leave a thumbs up on the video if possible, please. And, uh, you know, comment, let me know your thoughts. Uh, do you agree or disagree with me on the whole debate? What do you think of the games coming out in the news? What do you think of the games that I've played? And uh, by all means, you know, just pass on your thoughts. I like to engage with you on a personal level. If you can, please check out my Patreon campaign. It helps to keep the channel running, the podcast running, you know, especially in these times while I'm seeking for a new job, but uh, it helps to keep the channel going as best as possible. Um, until next time, I'll sign off and I'll let you get on with your day. So take care, everybody. And remember, as always, it's only a game. Bye for now. Love you all and happy gaming.